Good morning. We're reading in Hebrews 11, 32 through 12, 3. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and, and I forgot to ask you, Japheth. Good. About David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. Father, it's a blessing uh, now to come to your word. God, I thank you for uh, the challenge that your word gives us. God, that you um, apparently think we are capable of hearing strong challenges of faith and endurance. And so, God, we pray uh, that your word would create that faith in us and that you would give us the strength to endure and to persevere uh, according to your will. Lord, bless this time that we share. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, I've heard about uh, a number of years ago that a group of you here uh, at Infinity worked together and did the Lawrence Hope 5K that you trained together and uh, did that race together. That was pretty cool. Last year, uh, I, I helped the kids do the one-mile fun run at the, the, uh, the Rudolph Run they do in Fountain Inn. I know a lot. Of, I saw a lot of you there. So uh, a number of you at least have some experience with, with road races and running, 5K type, type races. I know some of you have done much longer ones, and that's awesome. But if you've ever been a part of a, a race like that or seen it, you know, there's, there's a lot of excitement and energy in those kind of races. Our last year that we lived uh, up north in Massachusetts, my best, one of my best buddies up there ran the Boston Marathon, which is one of the greatest races in the world, I think. And there's probably 30,000 or so runners, and the whole city gets into it. And when you've got 26.2 miles worth of course, there's a lot of space for people to come and cheer people on. The whole city gets into it. It was really exciting. 
And so I saw that and was like, I got to be a part of something like this. And so we did the Cooper River Bridge run that next year, and we had moved back to South Carolina. It's one of the top 10, you know, biggest races in the country. There's something like 40,000 runners that run that on a good non-COVID year, at least. And there's just, if you've ever been a part of that in Charleston, uh, Mount Pleasant, across the bridge over to Charleston, it's just a super exciting atmosphere and so fun and so much enthusiasm all around that. And one of the things, I, one of the reasons I think that happened is that, you know, a, a running race is different than, say, like a, a football game. A football game, baseball, soccer, any team sport, the, at, the end of the, at the end of the game, you got one team who wins and another team loses, right? Half the fans are excited, half of them are distraught. Whereas in a, in a running race, like the Cooper River Bridge Run, 40,000 people, at least 39,900 of them showed up with no expectation of winning that race, right? There's a few elite runners, maybe not even 100, but a few of them that are gunning to be that first one. But the rest of us are not, we have no aspirations of being the first one across the line. That wasn't the goal. That's not why you do it. You show up to run a race like that because it's exciting, there's energy, there's enthusiasm, and you, you have a, a personal goal. I, I, I want to run well, and I want to I have a, maybe a, a time I'm shooting for, a, a personal goal, or, or even if it's not a time, I just, I just want to finish strong. I want to have done it. You know, the, the Cooper River Bridge Run, their motto, motto is get over it. You know, get over the bridge. Can you make it over the bridge and make it to the finish line? That's, that's the goal. You could come in 39,000th place and still feel accomplished because you got over that bridge and ran 6.2 miles, right? That's, there's so much energy and excitement in a day like that, in, how much, uh, in, in running like that. The, the Bible uses the metaphor of, of running uh, a handful of times, which is why I think it's God's favorite sport. But anyway, that's another point. But it, it uses running uh, as, a, as a, a way, a metaphor of the Christian life in a number of places. And one of those is what we just heard in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And as we think about what it looks like to run a race, we're not thinking, of course, just about physically running six miles. We're thinking about our walk with the Lord. Are you running your race with endurance? Run the race with endurance. We are all on a race. It has been set before us. The question is not whether you're running. It's how are you running? Are you running your race well? Are you running your race in a way that's, that you can finish? Are you running at a pace and with focus and with intentionality in such a way that you can get from point A to point B? Are you running well and are you running in a way that you can finish? There, there is a path that has been set before you. It says, let us run the race, run the race that has been set before us. God has put you on a path. He has put a path before you. It's not, so again, it's not, not whether you're running <laughs> It's how you're running. God has a plan. God, God has put you where He's put you for a reason, for a, a purpose. So how are you running? The word translated for, for race right here uh, is, is a good, good word here, and it's used different ways throughout the New Testament. In Colossians chapter 2, it's translated struggle. Struggle. In First and Second Timothy, it's, it's translated as fight. First Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. First, Second Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Our, our race in life is a, is a struggle. It is a battle. It is something we're fighting for. But I didn't have to tell most of you that, right? You, you knew that. You, you came in today. I didn't have to convince you that life can be a struggle. Maybe you, you look back just this morning, just getting here was a struggle. If you have anybody in your house under the age of, you know, 20 or so, it probably was. 
or anybody over the age of, you know, 20, it probably was hard for some reason or another to, to get here. It can be hard. And maybe not just today. Maybe you're, you're this week was a struggle for you. Maybe you look back over the last couple of years, last decade, lifetime, and you're like, I have, I've been battling from day one. I've been struggling from day one. Life can be a struggle, a battle, a fight. Praise God, the, the Word of God is not blind to that. It, it's talking about that race, that battle, that struggle, that fight. The question is not whether you're on it. It's how are you running? How are you running your race? The passage today in Hebrews, first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12 that is the central command, central, clear focus of this, of this passage. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before you. That's what I want you to take away today. Run with endurance. Run your race with endurance. Now, this is, not the, this is the first time the word run is used in the book of Hebrews, but this concept, this idea has been there from the beginning and has been all the way through. All the way through Hebrews, he's been talking about things like uh, don't give up, don't drift, stay strong, don't, you know, don't get lazy, don't fall away. There's a group that, has, that used to come to, to, to be a part of God's people, and now they've drifted away. And he's saying, don't, don't be tempted, don't go astray, keep focused, keep going, stay in the race. Run the race with endurance. Now, some of you that, that did that Lawrence Hope 5K, I know some of you were on the, uh, the couch to 5K program. Maybe if you did a different race, you've, you've used that before. I love that idea, couch to 5K. You can go from sitting on your couch to running 3.1 miles in just, you know, a, a few months. And if you've seen that program or any, really any, any training program, it's the similar idea. So the couch to 5K starts with, hey, day one, you know what you do? You go out for a walk. Day two, you go out for a brisk walk. Day three in the, in the training program, whatever, you, you go out for a brisk walk. And in the middle of that walk for 30 seconds, you jog. And then on the, the fourth day, you go out and you do three of those. You split them up across your, 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 your time on your walk. The three different times you, you run for 30 seconds. And you see how that goes day by day, just building a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, until eventually you run three miles. That's a picture of endurance, isn't it? We don't wake up immediately. We're not born ready to run a marathon. You're not, you're not born ready to take on life's biggest challenges. But God, the way he works and the path that he has set before you, He's given you this obstacle and this challenge and this one. And if you with faith continue step by step with God, He is building endurance. He is strengthening you so that you can walk your path. Walk the path that God has before you. You can run that and run it with endurance. If you look back, probably honestly, if you go back 10 years, you, you could have never, the 10 year ago version of yourself could never have taken on the challenges you're facing today. So just imagine what God wants to do through you 10 years from now as He continues to grow you in endurance. Are you going to stick in it? Are you going to stay on the path? Are you going to keep running with endurance? God has plans for us. He intends for us to run this race and run it well. He wants you to run, and He wants you to run with endurance. So you're going to stay in the path. Are you going to stay in the race? Only you can run your path. Only you can run your race. God has set it before you. In Hebrews 12, I love that it doesn't just give you that challenge. It tells you how to do it. It tells you how to do it. Run this race with endurance, but then it gives you some instructions around it. You're saying, okay, I, I, I want to run this race, but I may be tempted to give up. We've seen that through here at Hebrews. There's a group that is tempted to stop running. And so you don't know if you can keep going. You don't know if you can keep going on the path that you're going. Maybe, it's not, a, maybe that's, it's not just that things are hard, but you just have gotten lazy. You're just not sure you want to keep walking with the Lord. You're just kind of feeling blah. 
there's a message for you here. For, for all of us, there's a message about running faithfully and finishing well. Hebrews 11 and 12 uh, describe kind of two, two sides of the, the motivation here. There's some things you've got to get rid of, and there's some things you've got to pick up. There's some things you've got to take off, and there's some things you've got to put on. And as you go through, especially the New Testament, but that kind of image of taking off and putting on, getting rid of and picking up, those kind of things show up over and over again uh, in the Bible. And I think this one here in Hebrews 12 is really powerful, 11 and 12. So if we're going to run the race with endurance, let's start with the things you've got to get rid of. Throw off everything that weighs you down. If you're going to run a race, an endurance race, you've got to throw off everything that weighs you down. Backing up a little bit in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lay aside, take off, get rid of, put away everything that weighs you down on your race. And so clearly that in includes sin. And hear how he describes sin. He said, sin, it clings so closely. That, that's a vivid image of sin, isn't it? Sin clings to us like Velcro. It just sticks to us. It's sometimes hard to get, to get rid of it. If we're going to run, run a race, we, gotta get, we can't be tangled up in vines. Sin is like something that would entangle your, your feet, like, like running along and trying to run through brush and, and realize you've got vines all wrapped around your ankles. You could never run if you're all tangled up. You've got to get, get rid of that. Or, or maybe it's like if you went out for a run and it started raining on you, so you got all soaking wet and the rain cleared and you're just trying to make it home and, and you trip because of this, the, you know, being wet and confused and you fall in a, you know, a pile of brush or leaves or something. You stand up and all those leaves are just stuck to you. You're just covered in leaves and dirt and all kinds of grime. And you're like, I, I can't run. I got all this stuff on me. And you're just frustrated. If you're going to run a race, an endurance race, you got to you got to get rid of the filth. you got to take the vines off. you got to get stuff unstuck from you because it's going to weigh you down. It's going to entangle you. Many of us who, I imagine all of us really, if we've experienced sin, it can be like that, can it? It's not just as easy as just going, nope, nope, and going on. It, it clings to you. It sticks to you. you. You get entangled and ensnared in it. Some of the other translations use that ensnared or entangled. We've all experienced that what... What's, what's ensnaring you? What, what sins, what habits, what lifestyle choices are you in where you feel stuck? You're in a rut that are, they're, they're wrapped around you like vines around your ankle and, and you're trying to kick them off and they're just, just not coming off. Can you be honest about those things that are ensnaring you, entangling you, and dragging you down? Hebrews 12 continues uh, to describe what we've been seeing all along through the book of Hebrews that sin will ruin your race. You, you, can't, you can't finish the race with vines still around your ankle. You've got to cut the vine. You've got to get rid of the sin. You cannot finish the race of faith with unrepentant sin. The Bible is clear about Christians. That God has given us a new heart, a new life, new desires. And sin clings to us for a season. But anybody who is truly a Christian will repent of sin and be freed from it. God is at work. It's His power, His grace, His mercy that is drawing our hearts away from sin and toward Him. If we are trying to hold on to those vines and cling to those vines, then we don't truly love Jesus. And Hebrews has made that clear over and over again, warning about the dangers of sin. There is a, a, a terrible, dangerous movement 
in the world that says, hey, just, just add a little Jesus to your life. Just pray a prayer and you'll just, just keep on keeping on. And you do your thing. No, you, it is a total lifestyle change. You've got to cut the vines loose. You'll never finish your race if you're letting sin cling to your life. Don't let it do it. Cling, repent and cling to Christ, not to sin. Eternity is in the balance if we do not repent. Run your race. You've got to lay off sin. There's one more thing you notice in that verse that he says we've got to get rid of. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1 says, Lay aside every weight and sin. So two different things. Weight and sin. Yes, get rid of sin, but he says also lay aside every weight. So apparently in our race with Christ, our race of faith, chasing after Him, seeking to glorify Him, there are some things that technically aren't really sins, but they're, they're weighing you down. They're weighing you down. This is, is remarkably important for our walk with the Lord because there is a, a, a temptation, I guess, it would be the best way to describe it, a desire to say, when I come to a life choice, to ask, what, what's really wrong with it? Justify our actions by saying, it, this, this isn't really a sin. What's, what's wrong with it? If that is the determining factor for your decisions in life, to say, is, is, it, is it really wrong? That's, that's a really low bar to set for yourself in life. If you can just squeak by by justifying it, say, ah, it's not really a sin. That, that's a really low, low-hanging fruit there. There's a, there's a much better question to be asking about how you pursue the race, how you run your race. Instead of asking what's wrong with it, ask, does it help me run? Does it help me run? Does the music I listen to help focus my heart and mind on what really matters? Or does it get me trapped up in things that I, I shouldn't really be a part of? Yeah, technically, is watching this show or, or this series or this movie, is this, is this really a sin or do I have freedom to... That's a bad question to ask. Does this help me run? Am I pursuing Christ better because of this decision, this life choice, this habit, the way I spend my time? When I think about my, my, the, the amount of time I spend on my phone and what I do on my phone, when I think about the way I spend my money, is it technically a sin? Is it, I, let's don't ask that question. Let's ask, does it help me run. John Piper uh, in Hebrews 12 once talks about it. He said, does it help me run? or Does it get in the way when I'm trying to become more patient, more kind, more gentle, more loving, more holy, more pure, more self-controlled? Does it get in my way or does it help me run? That's the question to ask. Ask the maximal righteousness question, not the minimal righteous question. What's, what's wrong with it? He says, I don't even want to talk about what's wrong with it. Let's talk about does it help me run. Looking at the choices you make in your day-to-day life, if you're just living by, I'm just trying to not sin, that, and that's a good thing. It's better than choosing to sin, but there's a, there's a better way forward. It's a better way forward. Most people, when they run, they, they take their phone with them, and I totally get that. That makes sense. People like to listen to music. That can help you run physically. You know, you, you better that. Uh, you know, and mo- more than that, people like it for safety, you know, being out in the world without a phone these days. That's crazy, but I tell you, I can't stand it. I cannot run with a phone. It drives me bananas. I've tried everything. I've tried the little fanny pack thing, the armband thing. I don't, I don't want anything on me when I run. And here's, what I, here's how I justify that. You ever watch the Olympic marathon or 5K or 10K that they do in the Olympics? You ever seen any one of those guys with a phone attached to their arms? No way. 
Now I know they got people to help them and all that that we don't have. But if, if you're going to run, yeah, there's, no, there's nothing sinful about having a phone on you, you know? That's, that's not a sin. But when I, I want to run. I don't, don't want to be on my phone. I don't want anybody to call me. No offense. I don't want to talk to you. I want to run. When, you, when you're going through life, if we're just trying to say, ah, I might need this or, or this, you know, it's okay. Does, does this help me run? Make decisions in such a way that help you run your race. To lay aside everything that doesn't weigh, that, that could weigh you down. Let your, let your life be filled with things that are encouraging you, not things that might distract you. Let your life be filled with things that are motivating you and pushing you and stirring you up. If we are filling our lives with things that are kind of borderline, then that's where we'll live. We'll live kind of borderline, on the fence our whole lives. But we'd rather, much rather, run a race with focus and endurance. That's the negative. That's what we've got to get rid of. We've got to get rid of things that weigh us down. There's a couple positive things to add to us as we run. So what's, what's the positive? What do we take hold of as we run? Back up at the beginning of that, that verse in Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here, here's something that can help you run. Not just be a middle, middle of the ground thing. Here's something that can help you run. Remember those who have run the race before you. That can help you run. Remember those who have run the race before you. Verse 1 speaks of this great cloud of witnesses, and that's a reference to the chapter just before this, the, the, the end of which Mary just read for us in Hebrews chapter 11. And in that chapter, we read over 20 different examples of people or groups of people who lived by faith. So last week we read and talked about people like Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And, and as you encounter all these people, these Hebrews 12 picture these people as, as witnesses that can be an encouragement to you. So it's like running your race and you see in the crowd, there's Abraham and, and there's Moses and there's, there's Noah. But what's different here is, is that they're not there for, for, to see you. They're there so you can see them. That they can motivate you. Say, I, I remember their stories and I want to run like they run. Michael Kruger talks about, he went to the University of North Carolina you talk about going to watch basketball games and how cool it would be to be a player, a basketball player for the University of North Carolina. You walk out you know, in the Dean Dome and you got the University of North Carolina on your jersey. You look down at your jersey and then you look up and see a jersey looks just like it with Michael Jordan's name on it. I, I'm playing. I got the same type of jersey. I'm in the same spot on the same court that Michael Jordan was in. And that motivates you. It encourages you because you see the guy who ran it before. I want to run my race. I want to play my game like he played it, like those who played it before me. So you gotta, you gotta, if you're going to run like the people who ran before you, you've got you to know the book, right? You've got to know their stories. You've got to read the book. You've got to understand it. And as you do it, as you remember those who ran their race, it motivates us to run our race and run it well, to run it well. Now, I don't know if this creeps into your mind immediately, but one objection you may have is, hey, that's great and all, but like, I mean, these were, this was Noah and Moses and David. I, I'm not going to be the next, just because Michael Jordan's name's up there doesn't mean I'm going to be Michael Jordan. There's a difference here in the Bible that, that is important about, you know, how this works. If you read Hebrews 11 and you get to the end of the chapter and go, man, Noah and Moses and Abraham, those guys got it together. <laughs> you don't know their stories. Like Moses, the guy who killed a guy before fleeing in the desert. Abraham, who slept with his wife's servant because he doubted. For a while, David, who, who 
got a man killed because he had, instead of going to battle, he had slept with her and gotten her pregnant. Like these are the guys that we're applauding? No, the end of Hebrews 11, you're supposed to say God is amazing. I'm applauding God because God, through faith, used even people like us to do incredible things. Who you're supposed to applaud in the Bible is never man. Never man. Always God. And when you get to the end of Hebrews 11, you read about all these people, you say, hey, their God's the same God. There's just one God, my God, same one they had, I have. And so that's where we realize that this was all about faith, not about works. We don't applaud the, the works of Abraham and Moses and David. We, we applaud their trust because it shows how great God is. When we remember those who ran the race before us, we remember how great our God is who used those people that by faith, incredible things were done. Back up in Hebrews 11:34, we read that these people were made strong out of weakness. Made strong out of weakness. That's, that's the message of Hebrews 11 and the entire Bible. That God made people strong by His strength, by His power, this was done. And it was shown all the more because of how weak we are. Made strong out of weakness. God is not calling you to be the world's greatest. He is calling you to trust in the one who is the greatest in the world. That's what faith is. Not being the greatest, but trusting the greatest. Now, I, last week we didn't do all of Hebrews 11 because it's long, but also because that last section that Mary read for us fits really well with what, what, describe, what we see right here is this great cloud of witnesses. Notice how in verse 33 and 35 in that section, the, the, these most unlikely of heroes, he, he, it's like he, he runs out of time. He's like, time won't... I don't have enough paper to write on. I don't have enough parchment or papyri or whatever they used to write on to tell you about how great the, all these things happened. I tell you all these great things. So let me just kind of summarize them for you. And listen to how the, the first group of this summarizes. It says, Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back... They're dead by resurrection. Man, when you read a list like that of things God did through people by faith, you, you just makes you want to conquer the world, right? God conquers kingdoms through faith. He does incredible things by power. Not because we have the strength again, but because God does. That's what faith is, is trusting in the power of God. It, it, this happens periodically where, where God does something amazing, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Well, we see God move in such a way, and this is what's, what's awesome about faith, is, is sometimes you, you pray for something that we can't make happen, like I really can't do it, and then God does it. And the reason He does it is for you to step back and go, well, can't take credit for that. Only God could do it. And He does that by faith. In Hebrews 11, the whole Bible, and many of your testimonies, we heard Anthony Mabry's testimony last night at the men's event. Wow, God is amazing. And the miracles He works and the power He has, the incredible power of our God. God conquers kingdoms sometimes by faith so that we'll stand back and give glory to Him. That's the encouragement. If you're going to run your race with faith, be reminded of the great things God has done. Trust God. Seek Him. He just might show up and conquer a whole kingdom. So trust in Him. But if He doesn't conquer a kingdom, you know what He might do? You know what he might do? He might give you the power to suffer really well. You say, well, well that, that doesn't sound quite as fun. <laughs> I like the conquer kingdom idea. I like the stop the mouth of the lion's idea. But there's another side to this, and it's just as good. 
30, in the middle of verse 35, there's a, a switch. And listen to the rest of this list. Same list. I, I stopped it in the middle, but it's actually just the middle of a verse. Same verse. Listen to how the rest of this group who lived by faith, listen to the testimony of their lives. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute and afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. What happened? What happened to these guys? I thought they had faith. I thought God was conquering kingdoms and, and clothing, closing lions' mouths. I, th- I thought God was doing all these great things. Where did he go? He, he didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. What he's showing you is that faith sometimes looks like trusting God and he shows up and moves a mountain. And sometimes it looks like God shows up and gives you the strength to get up and over the mountain. Same God, same faith. Circumstances may change. God doesn't and the call doesn't. He calls us to faith either way. If we're going to remember those who have run the race before us, then for as many people as conquered kingdoms, we have to remember the people who had to suffer for their faith. Virtually every prophet in the Old Testament, as they spoke for God, was persecuted for doing just that. They were God's person given with a a word to deliver, and they were persecuted for it over and over again. The book of Acts is one long story of how Jesus' first disciples were persecuted at every turn in every city, everywhere they went, and the church thrived through it. They were thriving through that persecution. We saw a couple weeks ago that in chapter 10, this, this whole letter is written to a group of people who've been persecuted, and they're going on like probably a couple decades now worth of persecution, and they're getting kind of tired of it. Like at first they were excited and they're willing to take it on, but, but now they're getting weary this, the, the hardships, the struggle, the suffering, the, it's, it's wearing on them. And their endurance is being tested. And the, writers of he, the writer of Hebrews is looking back and saying, hey, look, look all the way through the Bible and see how God continues to bless His people and lead His people and encourage them and give them endurance through their suffering, not always around it. God is glorified when we trust in Him and He conquers the kingdom. But he's also glorified when we get diagnosed with cancer and we still trust in him. Like conquer the kingdom or cancer and we have faith, God is glorified both ways. Now you're saying uh, that if, if we trust God, it may not always go well. Yeah, that is what we're saying. Well, the Bible is saying. That's what the Bible is saying. But God promises to be with us right in the middle of it. When you have faith through fire, What you're telling the world is, I trust God over everything that can be taken away from me. It's one thing to trust God as long as I've got health and wealth and family and everything's going else. But when we tell the world and we tell God and we tell our own souls, I trust God even without anything else. We're saying truly Jesus is greater than everything else. And that's the whole message of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Sometimes by faith he moves mountains. Sometimes by faith he, makes, he leads us and empowers us to get up and over the mountain. And that's what we remember when we look to those who have run the race before us. Like the old hymn says, When peace like a river attendeth my way. You know, when things are going well, when it's smooth, there's peace and calm. Man, that's, that's great. Or, the next line says, When sorrows like sea billows roll, 
That is, when grief and sorrow and pain and struggle are like the ups and downs of the sea and one wave after another hits you. In both of those cases, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's what we remember when we look back to the heroes of faith. That's what we look back and see through God's kingdom, the way he works. He does both things through rough seas and smooth waters. He guides us and directs us by faith. When we remember those who've run the race, we may see both of those things happen in our lives. And both places are ways that we can run and run well. These are people of faith that can help us run with endurance. And of all the people worth remembering, there's one more worth our attention. All of our attention forever. And that's what we get to do. His name is Jesus. Let's go back to Hebrews 12, 1, where it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then listen to how verses 2 and 3 bring this to a climax. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is, this is the single most important key to running your race well, running with endurance. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep your eyes fixed on Him as you run your race. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Some other, some other translations uh, say author or pioneer, originator, because faith, is a gift from God. Jesus Himself is the one who gave you the very faith in you to believe in Him. It is a gift, not something you take credit for. We read Ephesians 2, 8 last week, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God gave you faith. He is the founder, the perfecter, the founder, the, the originator, the creator, the author of your faith. Jesus is the one who gave it to you, and we receive it as a gift. And if you don't yet have that gift, if you don't yet have faith, then I, I want you to hear this clearly. You're, you're, not, you're not in the race yet. You're, you're still tangled up in the weeds on the sides or, or in a different race or something. But, but faith is, is the starting point. The originator, the, the founder, the beginning of our race starts with faith, with trusting in Christ for our salvation. And that is something only God can do in you, but He can do it in you today. He's the founder, the originator, where our faith comes from. It comes from Jesus. But here's what's incredible. What an incredible encouragement this is for your faith. He's not just the one who starts it, the founder. He's also the perfecter. Other, other translations say the finisher. Because, because when Jesus brings faith into your life, He promises He's going to keep walking with you through all the way to the end. He is the one who's taken ultimate responsibility for your faith getting to where it's supposed to go. There, there's, a, there's another place, another verse in the Bible that uses the same root words there, founder and perfecter. And I, I, sometimes I'm glad that I have an office here by myself and nobody can hear me because I literally shouted like, "Woo!" when I saw this this week and I looked up like, nobody's here? Okay, that was weird. I'm studying my Bible. This, I just, nerd, whatever, you can say whatever. I just thought this was so cool. Founder and perfecter, same two root words, Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same two words. He began it and he will complete it. He is the founder and he is the perfecter. There is no greater encouragement 
for your endurance in your race to know that Jesus gave it to you and he's going to bring you to the end. Man, there are days where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can keep going on. I don't know if I can endure. Look to Jesus. If he gave you faith, he promises that he will bring you to the end. He's the founder and he's the perfecter. Don't lose sight of his work in your life. Don't quit looking at Jesus. Look to Jesus. And when you do, be reminded of the greatest act of endurance of all times. Verse 2 says, He endured the cross. Verse 3, Endured the cross and despising shame. Verse 3, Endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary. Listen, we've all got hard stuff in life, don't we? Like, you've all got hard things you're going through far beyond what what I even know. But things I do know, you've been through some really, really hard things. And listen, without somebody who's been in your shoes before, how do you know you would make it? How would you know? But praise God, we we have one. God Himself, who has been in your shoes. He has gone to the uttermost when it talked about endurance and suffering and pain. He went not just through the incredible hardships we went through, but He went all the way to the cross. And that's not just a, a physically brutal way of execution, though it was that. It was intentionally designed by the Romans to bring shame on them. And on top of what man had done to him, we, you know, physically and crucifying him, we, he also took the entire weight of all our sins with him. That's what was on him. That's what he endured. He went through endurance way more. He had to endure way more than we ever will. And he comes back to us in our race and says, I've been there. I've been right where you are. And I made it, and I'm here to help you through it. The same way that Jesus made it through the cross is the same way you and I can. It's by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And if you know God by by faith, if you know Christ by faith, His Spirit resides in you. And that same Spirit is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Listen, whatever you're going through, whatever hardships you're I don't know if I can keep going. Listen, He brought somebody back from the grave. Jesus was dead, no heartbeat, no life, and he came back to life. If he can do that, he can help you through whatever you're going through. Don't stop looking to Jesus because he's with you. He's with you, and he's empowering you by faith. Do you know know why Jesus went to the cross? Do you know why he went to the cross? He went for joy, for joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus went to the cross because he knew that on the other side of the cross was a reconciled relationship between his creation, us, and the Heavenly Father. Jesus knew that by going to the cross, he could take you and me, and he could take sinners who are broken, and he could restore us in relationship with God. And so when he had the two options before him, do I go through incredible suffering so that I can get to the joy of being with my people forever, or do I avoid the cross and just leave my people alone? He chose the cross and the joy of being with you. Apparently, Jesus really likes you and really wants to be with you. He has been through all of that to show you love and to help you now endure whatever you're going through. If you've got faith, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, there is nothing we can't get through because it's already been through the cross. It's already come out of the grave. We can endure all things. And he is, after he came out of the grave, you know where he went? He went and he sat down. Verse 2, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus won. The, the battle is still going on, 
But the war is over. The victory is won. He is seated, finished, done. And so we know our ultimate war is won as well. Sin has been paid for. Death has been defeated. We can be with Christ forever. There's nothing that motivates faith like knowing that the end is sure. He started your faith. He will bring it to completion because He's seated at the right hand of the Father and all things are completed in Him. Amy Carmichael was an incredible missionary, lived back 1867 to 1951, and her missionary journey went all over the place. She wanted to go to China. She ended up, she went to Japan and then had to come home, ended up in India where she served for 55 years, I think, and uh, just had incredible hardship. But her mission was helping these girls who were in this prostitution in these, uh, these temples and helped thousands of people. Incredible story. But she, um, she uh, was in Switzerland at one point and was hiking, and she came across a little, a little headstone of a pretty recent grave, and all that was written on the headstone was, He died climbing. He died climbing. And Amy wrote uh, in the last uh, couple decades of her life was, was uh, battling health issues and did a lot of writing during that time, and she wrote a poem about that guy because she realized that that was a, a, an image of the Christian life, to die climbing. He said, she, she wrote, Make us thy mountaineers. We would not linger on the lower slope. Fill us afresh with hope, O God of hope, that undefeated we may climb the hill as seeing him who is invisible. Let us die climbing. Let us die climbing. You, you've got a race to run. You've got a mountain to hike. And there's no guarantee it's going to be easy basically a guarantee it's going to be hard. But you can have hope because he who we can't see with our eyes, but we know by faith, has been up and over that mountain and he has guaranteed the finish. Yes, you will have trials, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You can run your race and you can run it with endurance if you have faith in Christ.